0: Thank you for standing by, and welcome to the Pacific Smiles Group full-year results briefing. All participants are in a listen-only mode. There will be a presentation followed by a question and answer session. If you wish to ask a question, you will need to press the star key, followed by the number one on your telephone keypad. I would now like to hand the conference over to Phil McKenzie, CEO and Managing Director. Please go ahead.
1: Good morning, everyone. I'm Phil McKenzie, Chief Executive Officer of Pacific Smiles, and I'm joined today by Matthew Cordingley, our Chief Financial Officer. Together, we'll be taking you through the presentation that we posted on the ASX earlier this morning, outlining the company's performance for the financial year ended 30 June 2022. This includes a review of the company's business performance, along with an update on our growth and strategy, as well as an outlook for the year ahead. Clearly, FY 22 was a difficult year for the healthcare industry and for Pacific Smiles. We're a business that relies on face-to-face contact between dentists practising in our centres and their patients. COVID-related lockdowns, restrictions and illness had a significant impact on our ability to see patients and maximise revenue from the network and infrastructure that we've steadily built over many years. The lockdowns in part of New South Wales and Victoria extended well into October 2021. The subsequent emergence from lockdowns saw a very strong rebound in performance the following month in November however with the emergence of the COVID Omicron variant in December combined with the government's decision to largely allow the population to self-regulate their movements in communities the business experienced a different form of disruption this was manifested in COVID related illness leading to a material increase in practitioner absences and patient appointment cancellations Notwithstanding, all our centres remained open during the pandemic to support the dentists who wanted to provide oral care services to their patients. And this decision to keep our centres open impacted our ability to manage costs in proportion to the impact of the pandemic on our top line. We are a business with a fixed level of costs, which is reflected in the results we're presenting this morning. However, it's worth noting that our operating cost structure positions the company to generate strong returns in the future as demand returns and conditions stabilise. There are signs that the worst of the pandemic as it affects our business is behind us. Volumes towards the end of FY22 and the early part of the current year have improved. This gives us reason to be optimistic that we're on the path to returning to pre-pandemic levels of activity. Before we present the results, I want to acknowledge the appointment of Andrew Knott last February as the newest addition to the Pacific Smiles board. Andrew is a highly experienced marketing executive who has served in senior marketing roles in Australia, Asia and the United States. His experience is valuable to the board as we continue to execute on our growth strategy. I'd also like to acknowledge the recent exciting changes in the executive leadership team at Pacific Smiles that reflect our investment in talent and culture and buttress our long-term growth strategy. The recent appointments were Mr Paul Robertson to Chief Commercial Officer, Kiera Rocks moves to the Chief Operating Officer, Louise Hayes to Executive General Manager People and Culture, and Alice Telford to Executive General Manager Marketing. Importantly, these appointments represent a positive representation of the gender diversity in our key leadership positions. Moving into the presentation now, I'll provide a general business overview and highlights of the result. Matt will discuss the result in more detail, and I'll finish with an update on the Growth Strategy and Outlook. As always, we're happy to take questions at the end of the presentation. Turning to slide three, those of you who have been following the Pacific Smiles story closely would well know our stated true purpose is to improve the oral health of all Australians to the world's best. There are three value pillars that underpin this purpose. Firstly, we respect the dentists that choose to partner with us, manage and grow their practice. It is important that they know we will support them in every way in delivering professional dental care. Secondly, our patients. We appreciate and value their trust in us as their local dental experts. Their dental health is our priority. And thirdly, our team members. They matter. Without them, we can't deliver the services to our dentists and through them care to our patients. Their work is important and it makes a difference. These core values continue to guide everything we do. Turning to slide four, I'll start with the key points of the full year result. As I mentioned, the COVID-related disruptions had a significant impact on the ability of our dental centers to operate at capacity during most of FY22, and that's evident here. Patient fees for the year were $226.4 million, which is down 6% on the prior year. This was driven by a 10.1% decline in same-centre patient fees and a lag and the growth we customarily see from our new centres. Underlying EBITDA was down 65.9% to 11.3 million for the year, and the company recorded an underlying net loss of 3.2 million in FY22. I would note that the FY21 EBITDA included 3.1 million in net JobKeeper that was not repeated in FY22. We have expanded our dental centre network to, uh, by 19 to 127 locations for the full financial year 2022, and excluding the HBF-owned centres. These new centres are all high-quality locations well-positioned within our broader network. Unfortunately, we had to make the difficult decision to permanently close our centre at Lismore following the devastating floods in that region. Pursuant to that closure, we were able to consolidate our Northern Rivers operations into our Ballina Centre such that our staff could remain employed and dentists able to treat their patients. The pace of further network work expansion will be sensibly managed in FY23 as we focus on adding capacity in existing centres, but I'll go into that in more detail later. Given this result and the unique operating challenges, we felt it prudent not to declare a interim dividend or final dividend for FY22. Despite the difficult year, our network and our business is very well positioned to benefit from the increased demand for dental services as Australia emerges from the worst of the pandemic. Turning to slide five, we can see here the impact of COVID-19 on fees and earnings. As I mentioned earlier, the decline in total patient fees was driven by the decline in same centre fees and the lag in growth of our new centres due to restrictions and illness that negatively impacted patient attendance. Our underlying EBITDA was down significantly on the prior year. The impact on our earnings was amplified by the impact of two conscious decisions we made to keep all our centres open throughout the pandemic and the continued investment in network growth with the opening of 19 new centres. Why, why did we make these two important decisions? Firstly, in keeping all centres open, we were mindful of the impact that temporary closures or materially reduced operations would have on our ability to retain staff and dentists. It was vital that we positioned the business to be able to meet the inevitable increase in demand once the impact of the pandemic waned. That would have been otherwise a significant opportunity lost. Secondly, we chose to invest in new centres based on the quality of sites we were being offered by landlords, we have a proven model and high conviction in the returns it generates for investors. While we acknowledge the lag in earnings caused by opening these centres into a challenging operating environment, we believe that history demonstrates they will generate attractive long-term returns for our shareholders. We've kept the market continually appraised of our trading during 2022, and it is evident that our volumes are on a trajectory that is gradually returning to pre-pandemic levels. We do not forecast the same surge or pent-up levels of demand we've seen in previous post-hard lockdowns earlier in the pandemic, but rather a steadier rate of growth and margin expansion. Turning to slide six and a summary of operations. We've opened 19 new centres during the year, 13 in New South Wales, 4 in Victoria and 2 in Queensland. The new openings were supported by our tried and tested pre-booking campaigns and four bookings were strong for each one of the new openings, including several records. It's a credit to the team that we were able to deliver these 19 centres amongst the disruptions caused by COVID to normal construction, fit out and timelines and all at a reduced capital construction cost relative to prior years. As well as our own centres, we added four new HBF dental centres to the network taking the total of these to six centres by the financial year-end. We operate these centres under a managed service agreement with HBS, an important corporate partner for Pacific Smiles. As well as opening new centres, adding to the volume of dental chairs and operation across our established network gives us the capacity to service growth in demand at a lower incremental cost. For the full year, we've added 72 new dental chairs, including 15 in existing centres taking us to 534 dental chairs commissioned across the network by the end of the year. This number excludes chairs in the HBF Dental Centres, the three chairs in Lismore, New South Wales, the two in Philip ACT that were no longer operating as at the period end. By the end of the year, we had more than 850 dentists practicing from the Pacific Smiles Dental Centres, with a retention rate in FY22 above 85%. This is a particularly pleasing result given the disruptions we've faced and it's a testament to the decision that was made by the company to keep all centres open and provide the opportunity for our dentists to continue to practice. The patient experience at a Pacific Smiles Dental Centre is a critical measure of our ability to retain our patients and support dentists. We received a net promoter score of more than 85 in FY22, a very pleasing result during a trying time. Our employer retention rate it's just over 75%, slightly down on the prior year, but also supports the decision to keep all our centres open through the pandemic in 2022. We offer all our employees a long term vocation, advancement opportunities, and a career pathway that engenders loyalty to PSG. Our employees matter to us. I'll now hand over to Matthew to take you through the financial results in more detail.
2: Thanks, Phil, and good morning, everyone. Uh, turning to slide eight in the summary income statement. I just remind everyone that these results are expressed on an underlying basis, excluding the impact of double ASB 16 leases. The underlying FY 22 result excludes the impacts of one-off severance payments, the executive LTI plan, and costs associated with the closure of our flood-impacted Lismore centre, which is net of insurance recoveries. In FY 21, the result excluded the Everything Ventures asset impairment, severances, and executive long-term incentive plans. As always, we've included in the appendix reconciliations of the underlying statutory results. Group revenue for FY23 was down 8.9% to $139.5 million and that's directly linked to the decline in patient fees. We did see uh, same positive, same centre year-on-year growth in November 2021 after the lockdowns lifted and before the Omicron outbreaks commenced in December and then again in May and June of the year as demand started to increase and business interference stabilized. Phil referred earlier to the impact of our fixed cost base and the decisions we made as a business that sought the reduction in revenue largely dropped straight down to our earnings in FY22. It's also important to remember that there was $3.1 million in JobKeeper benefit to EBITDA and FY21 that was absent in the FY22 result and exacerbated earnings drag from opening new centres into a COVID environment over the last two years. The other, the other item I draw your attention to in the income statement is the $3.1 million increase in depreciation and amortisation charge. That reflects the accelerated rollout of centres in FY21 and FY22 And also the investment in modern technology that contributes to productivity opportunities via a single patient record and also safeguards the stability and security of our information systems and patient information. On to slide nine of the EBITDA bridge, which depicts movements year on year on both a dollar and margin basis. These charts show the drivers of the movement in both underlying EBITDA and the EBITDA margin between FY21 and 22 COVID impacts are most evident, in a 10.1% decline in same centre fees, which affected either star value and compressed the EBITDA to As margin. Outside of these impacts, the one-off contribution of JobKeeper and FY21 had the biggest impact on the comparison. FY21 new centres and margins drag for longer than what is normally observed in the trajectory of our new centre performance. We characterise this drag as a delay in the expected ramp in earnings, and I'd remind investors of what Phil mentioned earlier, which is that we believe these centres will generate our customary shareholder returns over time start losses from new centres were greater in FY22 when we opened 19 new centres versus the 15 in FY21. The contributing factor here is that we opened a majority of those new centres later in the financial year. Pleasingly, corporate costs were flat compared to FY21, however, on a lower fee basis, there was a disproportionate negative impact on margin. Turning to slide 10 now and the cash flow and balance sheet. Net of disposals, capital expenditure was $22.8 million for the year. The most significant items here were new centres at $13.7 million, technology upgrades at $3.5 million, and relocation and expansion of centres at $3.1 million. We also invested in centre refurbishments, replacement of surgical equipment, and share uplifts. The 19 new centres opened in FY22 drove a net increase in property plant and equipment. The increase in other current assets primarily related to a $2.4 million tax receivable balance due to the losses incurred in FY22. Borrowings of $17.5 million were drawn down in FY22, which funded our 19 new centres. Cash at year-end is $11.8 million, which combined with $21.5 million of debt headroom under our debt facility, underpins comfortable liquidity for Pacific Smiles. As we previously disclosed, Pacific Smiles completed the extension of our $40 million debt facility with CBA for a further three years on better terms, and we remain well within our financial covenants. I'll hand back to Phil now to take you through the remainder of the presentation.
1: Thanks, Matt. We'll turn now to slide 12, where I want to touch on the initiatives underway to ensure ESG principles are embedded throughout Pacific Smiles. We are a purpose-driven organisation. As I said at the outset, our goal is to improve the oral health of all Australians to the world's best. But we also want to ensure that our business reflects community expectations around commitments to sound environmental management, social equity and good governance. On the environmental front, we've committed that 25% of our energy purchased by direct contracts with energy retailers will be from renewable sources for three quarters of the FY23 year, with the new contracts taking effect from 1 October 2022. We're also in the process of transitioning our main supply of dental consumables to FSC certified packaging, which is more recyclable. Also a drive to paperless invoicing and patient forms will reduce paper consumption by more than 100,000 sheets according to our estimates. Inclusion and diversity is an important focus. Among other initiatives, we've recently introduced AI technology to help eliminate bias from candidate screenings. On governance, we continue to review and update our corporate policies and procedures to guide appropriate behaviours and build transparency through our board subcommittees. I'd now like to go to slide 13 and speak to the company's priorities over the medium to long term, coming out of a a very unusual few years. As difficult as the past two years have been in the face of unique challenges and disruptions, this has not altered our long-term goals. Our long-term strategic goals are underpinned by a strategy centred on culture, operational excellence, same-centred growth, innovation and network growth. Culture underpins every successful enterprise. For Pacific Smiles, it ensures our people share our purpose, enjoy what they do, and operate together as a seamless unit. A positive culture will translate to strong dentist, patient, and employee experiences, and ultimately, accretive shareholder returns. We regularly measure our performance through NPS scores, and they remain very positive, as we outlined earlier. We've recently made changes to our executive team that realigns talent with the opportunities the company has to capitalise on the investment it's made over the last two to three years. Whilst PSG has endured a very challenging period during the pandemic, the hard decisions we've made, sticking to our business model in spite of short-term impacts, positions us to move forward strongly. A recent survey by the Australian Dental Association found that two-thirds of Australian adults had not visited dentists in the past two years. So with many dentist visits deferred during the pandemic, our investment in practitioner and employee retention combined with the latent growth potential in our new centres has uniquely positioned us to capture new patients and re-engage with existing patients who have deferred treatments during the pandemic. Innovation and technology investment is important in the attraction and retention of dentists and patients. In FY23, we'll be completing the rollout of our upgraded 3D scatters Delivering on our promise to dentists to support them in their practice with the latest technology. While the focus in FY23 will be on driving returns from core assets, we're expecting a renewed focus on innovation from FY24 onwards. Our long term growth target remains intact. We'll continue to add new dental centres, position them in the right areas to maximise efficiencies and economies of scale, capitalising on market opportunities at a rate that aligns with sensible management of our balance sheet. And use of capital. To slide 14, and some commentary on network growth as it applies to same centres. This slide illustrates the potential for growth from existing centres. As I mentioned, nearly one third of our centres are less than three years old, which we classify internally immature. That is a significant opportunity for us to, given the growth, the growing patient fee, and EBITDA contributions from immature centres that are expected to accrue to PSG over the coming years. I make the observation that as of the 30 June, 17% of surgeries were yet to be commissioned across the network with chairs. There is significant untapped capacity within our existing centres, 112 surgeries to be precise. The uplift of chairs is a cost-effective and highly accretive way to add capacity where growth and demand warrants it and identifying opportunities to commission these new chairs will be a continued focus for us in FY23. Turning now to slide 15, which shows the incremental growth in patient fees, EBITDA and EBITDA margin, that we would normally expect from new centres as they mature to five years and beyond, and how this trajectory has been affected by COVID in recent years. Clearly, the performance of new centres has been softer than we would expect, given the many of them opened and the disruptions of restrictions and lockdowns. The bottom left table shows that new centres typically generate 2.5 million in fees and a half a million in EBPA after five years of opening. Centres typically open with three chairs and capacity to extend that to five, which we aim to have done by year five. We target profitability between nine and twelve months of opening and for the CapEx investment in each new centre to be paid back within five years. There is a comprehensive and diligent piece of work attached to any new centre, starting with pre-marketing campaigns to generate forward bookings prior to opening. Centres that opened in FY22 have performed better in the first year of operation than similar cohorts in previous years as our marketing campaigns have improved and matured. We're now regularly seeing more than 500 appointments booked prior to a new centre opening. Turning to slide 16, I'd like to update you on the managed service agreement we have in place with HBF in Western Australia. HBF is the largest health fund in Western Australia and is a fixture in that state's healthcare landscape. HBF's market share, as quoted in their 2021 annual report, is at 7.3%. We've now opened four new HBF dental centres in FY23, taking the total number of these centres to six with 46 dentists practising. HBFD provided over 10,000 appointments and the NPS reached almost 80 for FY22. The new centres performed strongly. All were typically booked out six weeks in advance. All HBFD centres have state-of-the-art facilities with top-of-the-line ergonomic and functional surgery chairs, 3D imaging and scanners. These are all important features for adventists, along with clinical autonomy and appointment book fulfilment. HBF dentists are included in our Pacific Smiles Graduate Insight graduate development programs and have access to online learning, leadership, and mentoring programs. Turning to slide 17 now. I think it's important to highlight to investors the opportunity that Pacific Smiles has as we head into FY23 to grow shareholder returns. There really are six key pillars that underpin this opportunity. Firstly, Our considered investment in new centres over the last two years have been in high-quality locations that are complementary to our existing network, which generates operating efficiency for us. Secondly, it's evident that many Australians, some of whom are Pacific Smiles patients, and many who are not, have not been to the dentist during the pandemic. This is an opportunity for Pacific Smiles to capture the expected increase in demand for dental services going forward and to increase our market share. We've already touched on the investment we've made into the retention of our staff and practitioners. This investment will allow Pacific Smiles to be able to service that expected increase in demand as patients commence a return to their usual dental appointment patterns. Building on the retention of staff and practitioners is the reality that, that this has created capacity within our centres and operating structure to see higher volumes of patients without materially increasing costs. This is the opportunity for margin recapture and growth. The maintenance of the health and stability of relationships with our key long-term partners has been fundamental to ensuring the collective wellbeing of all stakeholders in Pacific Smiles. Across our key suppliers, partner health funds, landlords, builders, HBF and Western Australia and our financing counterparty, they are relationships that will ensure Pacific Smiles should continue to grow and deliver shareholder returns. And finally, Pacific Smiles has now completed a two-year period of significant investment in our infrastructure and IT systems. This investment will lead to the streamlining and simplification of many of our processes and create efficiencies for the business. Enhancements in practitioner and patient experience will be evident following the delivery of a single patient record and investments in modern equipment such as 3D scanners. Slide 18. On this slide, our final slide, I'd like to offer some insight into our FY23 investment expectations in new centres and forecast patient fees in EWA. As you know, we withdrew guidance in late 2021 in light of the unstable trading conditions. As of today, Pacific Smiles has generated patient fees of $32.9 million, a 35.3% increase in patient fees year-on-year and a 28.4% increase in same centre fees. Our guidance for FY23 is for patient fees to be in the range of $270 to $285 million and underlying EBITDA to be between $24 and $27 million. This guidance assumes that there is no increase in disruption in the business interference due to COVID-19 and above what is being currently experienced over the... Um, experienced by the business. Should these conditions materially change, then we will continue to update the market accordingly. In respect to network growth, we're planning to open five new Pacific Smile centres and two new HBF Dental centres in FY23. Finally, I'd like to confirm that it is the company's intention to reinstate dividends in FY23 in accordance with the current board policy and subject to prevailing trading conditions. In closing, on behalf of the executive leadership team, I'd like to say thank you to the entire Pacific Smiles team for their dedication and commitment through a very challenging period. Your efforts and energy is incredibly important and very much appreciated. To the dentists who practice at Pacific Smiles, I'd also like to say thank you. We value the trust you place in us by choosing to operate in our network and appreciate your contribution to delivering on our true purpose. I hope today's update has given you a comprehensive insight into our business Matt and I are of course happy to take your questions now and I'm handing over to Travis to manage.
0: Thank you. If you wish to ask a question, please press star one on your telephone and wait for your name to be announced. If you wish to cancel your request, please press star then two. If you're using a speakerphone, please pick up the handset to ask your question. The first question today comes from Hayden Liu from and Partners. Please go ahead. Oh, hi,
3: Phil and Matthew. Um, thanks for taking my question. Um, maybe firstly, just wanted to understand the underlying assumptions around um, 23 guidance. So, uh, Phil, you caught out obviously expecting improvements in, in patient fee, fee performance and volumes, but maybe on the cost side of things. So, we saw employee costs and consumables sort of step up in that second half. Um, I guess, how much of this increase are you carrying into the 23 EBITDA guidance Have, 24
1: to 27 million. Thanks. Yeah, thanks, Hayden. Um, I'll let Matt expand on it. Uh, needless to say, uh, we are expecting, with the um, sensibly increasing patient volumes, uh, to improve our patient fee line. Uh, we have very stringent views on cost, and I'll let Matt, Matt give you a little more flavour for that.
2: Yeah, yeah go, Hayden. Um, I think you're, you're asking sort of how much is going to drag into FY23. There will be some, no doubt. Um, and by and large, that's because the expected ramp in, in volume and fees in FY23 um, won't be as robust as what we saw in FY21 when we came out of a, a, that hard lockdown period. Um, we put down um, 34 centres in the last two years and never opened into a COVID environment. So there is an efficiency in those new centres, but it, but it will improve at a, at a steady cadence throughout the year. Um, but we won't be fully efficient by year end. That'll continue into FY24.
3: Right, gotcha. Um, so I guess no meaningful impact sort of, um, meaningful improvement um, is sort of assumed there. Um, but I mean, just trying to... Well, mean, there,
2: will, there will be, you know, look, to be clear, there will be improvement. Um, yeah. we, won't be, we won't get back to full efficiency by the end of the financial year, though, and I think that's, you can see that in the margin implied in the guidance.
3: Yes, gotcha, great, thanks. to um, those just trying to get to, um, maybe on the consumable side of things, how much of that is transitory versus non-transitory? Um,
2: maybe over the longer term? Yeah, so consumables um, are typically around 5% of patient fees, they're fully variable, so they, they shift in line with volume. Um, the second half increase you probably saw was relative to, to stocking up new centres. We, we built a lot of new centres in the second half of FY22, so as they're stocked, that probably just increased the consumable percentage, but we'd expect them to, to, to normalise in FY23, especially given the, um, the guidance around new centre development.
3: Okay, great, thanks for that. And maybe just on um, the new centres, since you've sort of dialed back the pace of the rollout from to five centres in 23, um, I know the presentation sort of caught out rollouts sort of balance against profitability, um, but I guess on a go-forward basis, is it fair to say we should expect this level of rollout at least in the next few years, or do you sort of anticipate going back to the pace of um, openings that we've seen in the last two years that, you just um, sort of alluded to, Matt?
1: Yeah, for sure. We see the, the, the deployment of capital as an absolute privilege uh, and as long as it's in line with our growth expectation and the support of the board for sensible shareholder returns, uh, we would like to see our um, our growth p- profile of new centres step back up um, to what we've been able to deliver. Um, so we're really excited for that to return.
3: Right, gotcha. Um,
1: yeah, because
3: I noticed a long-term target of greater than 250 cents is still sort of intact. So I assume you still see the opportunity out there but it's just a matter of going back in the near term
1: but you sort of want to get back to that that level Um, over time, is that correct? Unwaveringly, we see the potential in the market and we see the opportunity to deliver on our long-term objectives.
3: Great, thanks. And maybe just lastly, on the HBF
1: side of things, how is that sort of performing versus your expectations to date? Yeah, we're delighted with the partnership. I'm very pleased with the new centres that are on the ground. Um, the dentists are enjoying the experience, the patients are enjoying the experience, and um, I'm very proud of what we've been able to develop in that very important state. So, um, going well and developing continuously.
0: Great. Thanks for that, uh, Phil Matthew. Thanks Thank you. Thank you. The next question comes from Melissa Benson from Wilson's.
4: Please go ahead. Good morning, Phil and Matt. Um, Thanks for taking my question. I just wanted to see, um, kind of playing devil's advocate, if it turned out that the kind of trading conditions did remain kind of choppy and challenging for the next, say, two years. um, Is there anything in the cost structure that you could change to kind of recapture some of the margin if it wasn't all just reliance on on patient volume? Hi,
1: Melissa, thanks for the question. I think um, implied underlying and, and and all of our model is that there is uh, at some point when the growth does stop, perhaps over that 250 a release of margin uh, as the business stabilises and we get past this so-called immaturity stage. Um, right now we're not there, and right now um, we, as an executive team and the board, would be loath to um to, to to be deterred from our growth plan. We just need to navigate these choppy conditions. Uh, and make the very best with sensible decisions. so um, yes, but at this stage we're we're holding the line with um, a growth being a growth business.
4: Yeah, definitely understood. Um, one other question is just around the network more generally, I guess. And mean you still seeing kind of impacts isolated to certain states or certain areas um, or or is it kind of across the entire network? I guess is there any way you'd call out as being particularly weak?
1: I wouldn't suggest that anywhere is particularly weak, but one of the interesting challenges is the amount of um, members of the public that now choose not to report. Um, therefore, it's difficult to track uh, what's going on in any particular state and what I would call a macro factor. So I can share that all of our regional teams, all of our Think Leader teams work diligently to follow up on patients each day uh, and that together with appointment book management, uh, care and respect for dentists. Um everybody's doing the very best that they can.
4: No worries. And just maybe one quick final one for me is um, you, you spoke about there might be about two thirds of Australian adults who might not have gone to the dentist in the past two years. I mean how how does that kind of look versus your existing patient books? Does that kind of align? And I guess what are you what are you kind of actively doing to go and capture that market share versus say competitors? Is it New advertising campaigns ramping up what you're doing?
1: Yeah, a couple of things. The first and most important is is care of our existing patient base. Um, So we've got sophisticated data management tools uh, for for looking after our database. So we've got um, multiple methods of uh, encouraging repeat attendance, uh, and there's a, a sophisticated group of people that work on that for us continuously, ensuring patients attend a couple of times a year. Then there's the avenue of accessing both walk-in patients but also uh, campaigns above the line uh, and primarily through digital services in in order to draw new patients in and that's where we never sleep. So we've got a a team of people and great partners that are continuing to work on that. A couple of things that have always been a cornerstone for us, the ability to uh, see emergency patients at any time and we have sections in our books blocked off every day to cater to those unexpected moments in patients' lives. Um, But also um, speaking to people where they live as the local dentist and the trusted local dental expert, uh, that's where we live and that's where we make it happen. And it's as much about the local teams and that's a point of differentiation for us. Thank you so
4: much.
0: Once again, to ask a question, please press star one on your phone. The next question comes from James Bales from Morgan Stanley. Please go ahead.
5: Hi, guys. Uh, A couple of questions for me. Firstly, it looks like um, comps have been strong early, but that's cycling some very weak comps same time last year. Maybe you could give us some colour in terms of what you're seeing in forward bookings for the next six weeks and how that run rate over the first quarter compares to what's baked into the guidance range on patient fees.
1: Yeah, James. Thanks for the question. I'll, I'll start and let Matt um, round us out. Um, sage observation: Yes, it was a, a turbulent time these last couple of years. That are the comparative. What we're seeing is not the same. Um, what I would call ramp back post the hard lockdowns. We're seeing a steady return to from patients, uh, and equally a steady return of practitioners from illness. So we're seeing a, a relatively stable environment, yet yeah, in uh, a some what unpredictable conditions. So we've got sensible rank profiles for centre performance um, and this has been thought through in the construct of the range for our guidance. I would suggest that over time we'll continue to tighten that range, particularly at the AGM. Um, but equally, should any disruption occur, we'll seek to um, to make sure that you're properly and fully informed.
2: Yeah, James, so just to add to that, we've got a pretty good line of sight on the next six weeks of bookings in the business. Um, it, it, it's been fairly stable for the last few months now. Um, the, the complication is obviously the non-attendance of um, patients if they're ill or practitioners if they're unwell as well, so the withdrawal of services. Um, UTA, FDA, uh, unable to attend or fail to attend is running it around about, I'll call it 13% at the moment, which is, which is higher than what we normally see, which is closer to sort of high single digital 10%. So That's a complication. We kept the patients in the books, they just get deferred. Um, to the second part of your question around um, how that's rolled into the guidance for the rest of the year. Look, um, there's certainly, um, uh, we expect escalation in volumes over the course of the second, third and fourth quarters beyond what we've got in the first quarter. So that's what you see there. Um, and that's, and that, that is to be expected as patient demand returns. We've obviously got some seasonality with winter at the moment. There is a lot of illness around. And as the weather starts to warm up, we would expect those cancellation rates to diminish. And as Phil alluded to earlier in the presentation, people just attended to that and started to return to normal, and that's really what's baked into the four parts of the year. Great. And
5: then um, just on uh, our thinking on the cash, it looks like you guys are sort of slowing the rollout, preserving a little more cash. When we think about CapEx for FY23, is it fair to take the... CapEx number X roll out for FY22 and think of that as a similar sort of number plus the five
2: centres that will be added uh, in FY23? Yeah, not far. Um, We'll spend a little bit less on IT CapEx this year, though, James. I I called out earlier that we'd reached the end of a two-year investment period there. So the investment in IT CapEx into FY23 will be lower, probably by about half. Okay, got it.
5: And then um, you guys only added 15 chairs to your existing centres. That is, That seems to be very high return on invested capital type investment. In a year when you've got a lot less centre rollout going on, what is the plan for um,
1: building out additional chairs in your existing centres? Yeah, great, great call out, James. That that really is underpinning much of our thinking. As the demand increases and um, and and requires additional chairs, that's where we'll deploy sensibly our capital to allow us to to increase capacity and cater to demand. Uh, and as we said, 112 surgeries have got that opportunity.
2: James, just adding to that, I mean, you remember in FY21, I think we added around about 35 new chairs into centres um, during a very high period of demand. And obviously, a lot less in FY22. We were pretty stringent around the deployment of capital on use uh, in new chairs, relative to the practitioner being available to see a patient. So, if, if we didn't have that criteria, that we decided not to drop a chair in, which is why we got the pullback. We'd expect it to increase on that in um, hopefully in FY23. But uh, I'd be surprised if we got back to the FY21 levels, just because that was such a surge period in in, in the in the business um, after the, what I call COVID one. Um, If if conditions are better than we expect, we'll certainly look to deploy more chairs into centres because, um, as you point out, it's very critical.
5: Got it. Maybe one last one. The maturity profile of recent cohorts, you called out the difference of pre-COVID versus COVID. Do you see the COVID cohorts as permanently impaired, delayed or temporarily delayed with some sort of catch-up back to a normal profile?
2: Temporary delayed. With a catch-up to normal profile, temporary delay I would characterise as between 12 to 18 months. Great. Right.
0: Thanks, guys. Okay. Thank you. Once again, to ask a question, please press star 1 on your phone. We'll pause to allow
5: parties to enter the queue. At this time, we're
0: showing no further questions. I'll hand the conference back to Phil McKenzie for any closing remarks.
1: Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for your time today. As there are no further questions, uh, we'll end the call and we'll speak to you all again soon. All the very best.
0: Thank you. That does conclude our conference for today. Thank you for participating. You may now disconnect.